welcome to Employee of the Month. Here's your host, Katie Lazarus. Hi, welcome back to Employee of the Month show. On this episode, I sat down with Emily Nussbaum. She's the New Yorker's TV critic. She took over for Nancy Franklin. And she's also known for creating the approval matrix for New York Magazine. She's such an excellent writer in herself that I'll end up watching TV shows I normally would steer clear of simply because Emily just sucks you in. She's witty and funny and also thoughtful and tries to look at the shows in a larger context as to what the other shows are on that are in its genre or what's been on before and how this show matches up. So definitely check out her work in The New Yorker after you listen to our interview, which was taped live at Upright Citizens Brigade Theater. And Emily is going to come back onto the show for a longer interview, but this is a really good taste into what an excellent critic she is and what it means to be a critic in the first place. I'm not judging. I'm just telling you what it is. And if you are judging, remember, as my meditation teacher taught me, don't judge the judging. Enjoy our interview. So I think we should keep the show going because I want to have as much time with our guests as possible. Our next one was at New York Magazine for seven years. And she, her claim to fame there, although she should be known for all of her phenomenal articles, is uh, creating the approval matrix. Awesome. And she is now at the New Yorker where she is the TV critic. So let's welcome Ms. Emily Nussbaum. Excited. Um, Emily, I got a New Yorker and it was seven dollars. <laughs> Just to reinforce anything about it being hoity toity. Do do you, can you get reimbursed? No, I mean, you know, just slip it in, see what happens. Um, hey, Emily, want to use the mic? Do, oh, can you talk into the mic? Let's do that whole bit over. Okay. Please welcome Ms. Emily Nussbaum. <laughs> you can get, read one of Emily's phenomenal pieces um, in this issue of The New Yorker. It is $7, but maybe she can get you reimbursed. Um, it's an excellent, excellent article about sex in the city and uh, how it deserves a little more uh, status than it, than it receives. Is that a fair summary? Yes. Um, now, you live in Park Slope. I do. And you have TiVo, you have cable. I feel like all the kids must love you and the parents must hate you. Is that possible? Actually... I, I don't know. It hasn't come up. No? Should I be inviting kids over? <laughs> like, say, hey, I just, come like, over and watch Dexter. All my friends who are parents in Park Slope, I feel yeah. like they would be having meetings about this at the co-op and how this is really dangerous that you have television. <laughs> what are these kids going to do? Yeah. They won't learn their Urdu and they'll never get into college. <laughs> that was my fear. But um, I feel like you're going to be the cool mom when your kids grow up a little bit, maybe, because you have you TV is great. Yeah, I I'm pro TV. <laughs> yeah. Pro television. Yeah. Um, what does it mean to be a critic? Well, uh, it means that you get to boss everyone around <laughs> with your opinions. No, it's it's actually like it's a complete dream job because obviously I'm obsessed with television. I mean, it's complicated because you know it's like online at this point everybody is a critic for television. It's a huge audience of people talking about TV. Um, I'm not sure how to answer the question because I've written different kinds of criticism and I remember when I started writing criticism, I honestly felt uncomfortable about it and I stopped well, reviewing some of the stuff I was reviewing. But reviewing well, television, 
I feel good about Let's it. Let's talk about that a little. You, you wouldn't review poetry, for right. example, anymore. I, I used to review poetry, and I love poetry. For the New York Review of Books? Uh, no, that would be Sorry. nice. No, I, no, for the, um, no, for the New York Times Book Review. Which I apologize. Is also, I which apologize. is also very, almost very as, fancy. Almost as airy yeah. Um But uh, <laughs> yeah, I used to review poetry, and then I had this just, I had this feeling with the New York Times specifically that I, I was like, it honestly is like crushing a puppy on an enormous platform in front of everybody because <laughs> poetry, which I love, but has a tiny audience one person writes it, they make no money. And if you even have like a sentence of mixed review, it has this weird, devastating effect. And I felt like if I can't write bad reviews, I shouldn't be writing good reviews. Because, but with television. Well, and wait, before we get there with theater, also was another one where. No, where, I, I, didn't, I didn't review No, anything. right. But you, yeah. you've spoken about how you won't review theater. I, I don't know. I, I really haven't been in the position of doing it, but I do think it has a similar impact. Although reviewing theater would be great in a way. I don't know. Maybe I've gotten more critical-minded and mean as I've gotten older and okay. I'm willing to take on more things. Because you had spoken about how, the, how critics can shut down a show. Yeah, that's true. I mean, the truth is, uh, I don't think that critics could shut down a TV show, but that's not my feeling about it. It's just that it's a medium that people used to think of as crap and junk, and it used to be that TV critics, when they wrote about it, were either two kinds of critics. Either it was... Uh, you know, entertainment reporters who were creating buzz or literary type critics who were slumming. And they would, you know, sort of riff off shows. And if anything showed the slightest bit of ambition, they would praise the hell out of it. And in general, they basically just treated it the way everybody treated television, which is as this sort of candy that poured into your living room and people were very condescending about it. And a lot of it wasn't very good and some of it was interesting, but people didn't treat it with any... You know, as a as a meaningful thing, and then TV Wait. changed a lot, and criticism changed a lot, and my feeling about it is, I'm like, it affects everyone. It's incredible. There's a lot of great television. I mean, television's huge. There's a lot of crappy stuff too, but, um, and for whatever reason, like I do feel in this crazy, maybe slightly psychotic way, like I'm on a mission. To have you, have you felt, or have you seen any of your reviews influence this? Have you kept a show on or I, I, championed I a show I mean, that might not have I otherwise gotten attention? I definitely advocate for shows that I feel like people don't pay attention to that they should be watching, but really critics don't have that kind of effect on things. I think by and large, I mean, with a few well, theater exceptions, theater critics do theater critics do. I mean, Television is a weird, weird industry economically in ways I'll never understand. And how much does that like factor I'm, into you? Like when you know that a show has a certain budget, do you do you review well, the, it more harshly? Or well, the only thing I do feel is I feel like anyone who's creating good television on network television should be given massive, massive awards because it's so much more difficult to do it. They have. I so think much, they have a, enough award shows. Yeah, well, is that really what you're? <laughs> okay. <laughs> I just mean I, like board? I have a particular feeling about sitcoms on on network when they're good. They're under so much pressure. Obviously, they get tremendous amounts of money. Nobody should feel sorry for them. But no. I just mean, it's just one of those things where so many of them are crappy and um, and there's so many terrible dramas on network also. But on the other hand, they're operating under different conditions. They have to produce 23 episodes a year. They have all of this weird pressure about ratings and a lot of the Everyone best has pressure shows. at their jobs, though. I mean, that's normal. Most people don't get the same... You refuse to participate in my sympathy <laughs> for the tragic role of the network sitcom creator. Do you have no? Do you have no human soul? Oh wow, wow! No, I apologize. I'm the, the one most... without a human soul. Chuck Lorre <laughs> with two and a half okay, men. You are right. He has so much no, empathy the for the small person. Um, no, I, I. It's my field, and I feel um, excited and privileged to be in it. I 
was just curious. I guess I, I feel like it's a privilege to make as much money as, as people in television do, and I wish that nurses and teachers made more. That's well, all. I That's where I'm that. coming from. No, I completely agree with that. I'm just talking about the fact that when I when I talk about a show like The Good Wife that's a brilliant show on network television, I'm particularly impressed that they're able to make a good drama on network given that it seems impossible to make anything but the most sort of curdled kind of bland for everyone formulaic stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I'm impressed when there's something like that. It, luckily, I mean, it's a time when there's a million cable networks and there are a lot of people doing much more experimental things. I do try to beat the drum for that kind of stuff, but, you know. What are the rules you set yourself with people you're covering? Meaning, because now there's so much um, involvement between journalists and actors and some journalists get to make their own films and, you know, they get their stories. Are journalists making their own who? Well, like Josh Bierman has Argo. Right. I mean, there, there's you know lots of things. And Elvis Mitchell was constantly selling pilots. Um, so there is a lot of crossover there. And then Bernie Weinraub is married to Amy Pascal, and he was at the New York Times. I mean, there, there's a lot of crossover. I, I didn't know that. <laughs> um, and there's a lot of schmoozing online and off between people in different um, places of power. I was curious, what are the boundaries you have to set for yourself as a journalist? Well, I mean... First of all, I live in New York, so that's a huge advantage in writing about television. Because although people make TV in New York, I'm just not hanging out with them generally. But it's true on Twitter, it's weird. Because there never used to be this kind of contact between, you know, human beings and 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 television creators, like which I'm <laughs> creating as two separate systems, but there you go. I, I mean, it, it, it was a strange moment when TV creators got online. I mean, I was a huge, crazy Buffy fan, and there was this yes. strange lunatic moment when I noticed everything changing for for shows that you were fans of because suddenly the people who made them would get online you knew the individual writers for episodes and I would go on the bronze and like Joss Whedon would be posting there that was very strange I usually try not to <laughs> it's so weird my ethical line is I try not to tweet at tv creators too much but I'm not facing any kind of weird burdens in real life because I'm not hanging out with people who make television in general. I mean, and I also brought it up. I thought you wrote a great article about girls with Lena Dunham, but yeah. I do remember you did get some flack well, for being too cozy yeah. with her, and I thought that was sort of sexist well, and had no, nothing to do was, with the what article. What was odd about it was that, well, first of all, I wasn't actually writing TV criticism. I, I, okay. I, I think I... Was I actually writing... Was I a TV critic at New York when I took on that article? I'm not sure. But... Um, when I was in New York, I wrote profiles. And I have written profiles of TV creators. I wrote a profile of David Simon. I wrote a profile of Louis C.K. I've raved about Louis' show. Nobody has ever accused me of being too cozy with Louis because I yes. profiled him. Um, but I did love girls, and I wrote a really positive profile of Lena that was a splashy opener for the show. A couple of people on Twitter had said stuff about that. I mean... I liked the show and I liked her personally and I wrote a positive profile of her, but it's not like we're hanging out. Like no, all, I thought all, it was great. I, yeah. I had read some critique and I thought it was sort of obnoxious that people would say something. I don't know. Everybody's biased on these things, but in general, like I, I, again, aside from having profile people, which is a professional situation where you're interviewing them and you're creating this weird theatrical intimacy and then <laughs> never following up on it afterwards, it, it, it hasn't, it hasn't actually um, come up as a thing. It's interesting. Do you think it's a problem? I thought it was an unfair criticism okay. of your criticism. Oh, okay. That was well, why I thank brought Thank you for it alerting up. me to it. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I, I know you like Buffy, so I got you a comic book because you are such a nerd. I, you, you subscribed to Word Perfect Magazine and I tried to get it on eBay and it still hasn't arrived. The, whoever has Word Perfect Magazine does not want to get rid of it. This wasn't recent. This was when I was so, a secretary in the in I, I got 90s. you Buffy. I don't want people to think that I'm like a crazy Word Perfect nostalgist. But, uh, th- this is, I think this people is are going to go home tonight wondering, <laughs> is Emily craving that Word Perfect Magazine still and can I get it for her? And you may be able to get it faster than I did. I was just curious at the New Yorker, what is the percentage of people who wear tweed with irony to the percentage of people who wear tweed without irony? For some reason, I'm taking the question really literally and I'm going through my <laughs> mind, things in my mind. I'm like, does Tad Friend wear tweed? Like, I'm trying to think of people. I don't know. It is actually, it's a... It, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I can't think of anybody who actually wears tweed, but it, it does seem New Yorkery there, you know, like in the way that I, like when what I first got there. What does that mean? There, I don't know. A lot of people wear monocles. <laughs> no. I think if you want to look unsmart there, you can put these over your glasses. Mm. These have no lenses. Those are very intelligent looking, I'm sure. Um, one of the other things I loved is when you were writing about uh, girls, you aptly compared the show to Louis C.K.'s show instead of sort of putting all shows that have ever had a female together in, in one comparison yeah. pool. I just, I just have these weird themes I keep hitting over and over again. And it is a big feeling I have when people talk about uh, women in television. There's this strange habit of comparing all female characters to all other female characters any female show to any other female show as though they're in competition with each other and there can only be one. But one of the things that ends up being mi- missing is just shows don't uh, aren't don't have things in common, only intra-gender. And Louie and uh, Girls are clearly really similar shows in super interesting ways. I mean, they're they're different. I mean, one cinematically. Is, well, just you know, they're both auteurist shows by one person creating very memoir-like kind of indie movie style stuff where the main character is a memoirish uh, artist who is uh, sort of like chubby, humiliating themselves sexually all the time in search of material, has this kind of aggressive narcissistic personality that sort of grates on people in this complicated way and is in a period of complete limbo in New York during their life. So, I mean, when, when the thing is, when, when, when Lena was (laughs) making, so when Lena was making girls, I actually talked to her about this and I know that it was, it was kind of interesting because I was looking for stuff about her online to include in the article and she went to a Halloween party that year dressed as Louis C.K. Yes. She started tweeting about it and it was, it was interesting because she just tweeted, she was like, just so that you know, it's a very different feeling to go to a Halloween. Like, she just felt so humiliated, she said, mm-hmm. and uncomfortable, and she had these strange interactions with people. And it was a great picture because she was sort of trying to wear this bald wig and stuff. And anyway, I always thought the relationship between those two shows was very interesting. But, um, of course, most of the time when people talked about girls, they talked about sex in the city. And I'm not saying the show, two, two shows don't have anything in common, but um, I don't know. To me, it's a limiting thing. I, I thought it was fantastic that you're adding to the discussion in a way that actually has nuance and also celebrating the renaissance that's going on right now in TV. Yeah, there's so much good stuff. It's there's great. so many good things. I wanted to know um, what is the next thing you're reviewing? Uh, the or next thing we're reviewing or profiling. is... Um, well, I, I don't write profiles right now. I, I only apologize. write reviews. No, wait, no, wait, no, but that, it's great because the thing you were bringing up, I don't feel like there's an ethical issue, but there is an emotional issue. 
I found writing profiles very difficult. I mean, I like writing profiles, and I wrote some that I think are good and some that I think are not that good. But it's just draining. Like, it's so exhausting. And there's this strange way in which just writing criticism is this very pure, sadistic, mathematical experience. So it's kind of a relief. I mean, I'm not sure that that's a good thing or a bad thing. Well, should I say good luck on this sadistic enterprise? And, yes. Um, will you please come back onto the podcast Thank so we you. can have a more in-depth discussion? By the way, I'm reviewing Broadchurch, which is very good. Oh, really? Mm -hmm. All right, so we're going to look out for Broadchurch. Uh, I w hope everyone will give a warm round of applause to Emily Nussbaum. Please check out her work. Thanks. Thank you so much. That concludes this episode of the Employee of the Month show. Thank you to all of you for listening. Thank you to Brian Fountain, Ian Mazoff, the WGA, UCB, Six Point Harness. Please do donate. Please go on vacation for me. I will live vicariously. You can send me your photos. And do not miss our September 18th live taping at the Bell House in Brooklyn. You can get tickets at employeeofthemonthshow.com. They are on sale. I would get them before it sells out. And you can also go there and donate and check out how to subscribe to the podcast. Thank you so much. Did I mention vacation? If you don't want me to live vicariously through it, you can also invite me on it. Enjoy. <laughs>